You are listening to Living in the End Times with Amos and X, a podcast about politics and prose, theology theory, hijinks and pranks, and the everything and nothing to come. Strawberry ice cream is summer's day You melt away through the cracks in my fingers I know that sunburn goes away The broken words I last heard still linger Good evening, Amos. Good evening, Brian and gentle listeners. Um, that was uh, in honor of the end of summer. 
<laughs> Any day is better than February. That's right. I was going to say, man, that uh, that song was appropriate, and for again, the listeners who are regular, all three of you are, uh, you know, we complain about the cold a lot, but it's been it's been warm, which is finally good up here in North Dakota. Yeah, and that band's from Chicago, so they know the they get it. They know the Steve. They get it. Uh, all right, so I'm I'm flying solo as a family man, so I don't have any. I haven't prepared at all. So. I'm just gonna. And I'll I'm, be color commentary. And I'm as prepared as I've ever been. <laughs> <clears throat> Balance it out. Okay, so, um, this week or the previous week or whatever, we've seen the Democratic establishment, the panic around Bernie, really ramp up. In my view, um, in in a kind of inverse way. Uh, or the evidence for it is inverse. Like I think I said a month ago or so that my concern was that they would still play dirty and try to stop Bernie, which of course they will do. But now I think he's kind of a juggernaut. I think we're in a Corbin moment uh, where it's going to be impossible for the political establishment to stop Bernie, even in spite of the sort of hilarious Google manipulations we talked about last week where if you Googled uh, Democratic nominees, it listed two through ten or whatever um, and excluded Bernie. He wasn't even listed, even though he's number one. Um, <clears throat> and so alongside of that, um, the even the stock markets are beginning to panic slightly. So... A new study shows Medicare for All would save the U.S. $5.1 trillion over 10 years. Uh, Related to this is the fact that the medical insurance companies have – their stock plunges have continued since Medicare for All has been picking up more mainstream heat, I suppose. Um, And those of us who are familiar with the – the wonky sides of the issue understand, you know, have known for some time that uh, Medicare for all would be a cost savings. But now we're seeing these confronting the question. And I'm just going to read part of this confronting the question most commonly asked the growing number of Americans who support replacing America's uniquely inefficient and immoral for-profit healthcare system with Medicare for all. How do you pay for it? A new proposal, a new paper released Friday by researchers at the Political Economy Research Institute shows that financing a single-payer system would actually be quite simple, given that it uh, would cost significantly less than the status quo. It's easy to pay for something that costs less. Robert Pullen, economics professor at the University of Massachusetts Amherst and lead author of the new analysis, declared during a panel discussion at the Sanders Institute gathering in Burlington, Vermont, where Pullen unveiled the paper for the first time. According to the 200-page analysis of Senator Bernie Sanders' Medicare for All Act of 2017, the researchers found that based on 2017 U.S. healthcare expenditure figures, the cumulative savings for the first decade operating under Medicare for All would be $5.1 trillion, equal to 2.1% cumulative GDP. Without accounting for broader macroeconomic benefits such as increased productivity, greater income equality, and net job creation through lower operating costs for small and medium-sized businesses. So uh, now there's no argument against it. It's over. Anybody making any argument on any level about Medicare for all being cost ineffective, <clears throat> um, draconian, Stalinist, or whatever can go fuck themselves because 
uh, if the money if it saves five point one trillion dollars over ten years, there's no Karna argument to it. Now there never was, mm-hmm. but now we can basically prove it with this exhaustive analysis. And for what it's worth, this exhaustive analysis is just one of many different analyses that have occurred, not only for um, you know studies on the existing Medicare for all federal bills, but a lot of the state level bills in Vermont and California. Otherwise, other similar studies, including those by you know right right wing think tanks, that suggest we would at least spend just as much as we do now to cover everybody with the single-payer system and probably less, even if it's just a state-level plan. Mm-hmm. And that's only greater at the federal level. Right. And so how has how has the media been responding to this? Well, after Bernie's triumphant Fox News uh, town hall, which convinced the whole world that he was the only game in town, basically, uh, he went on CNN and they planted hitters in the audience, these uh, – so CNN is supposed to be the middle of the road. Mm-hmm. Fox News is the right. Uh, MSNBC is the left. CNN is supposed to be neutral or whatever, even though they gave Trump. Um, th- it was a Trump news network for, for sure. a year and a half or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, CNN planted people from this Harvard centrist student org to basically try and debunk his, you know, normal Bernie talking points or whatever. Um, and this was. This was revealed instantly with basically a Google search of um, this person. So this is from Jacobin's Defend Your Class by Megan Day. Harvard students weren't big fans of Bernie Sanders in last night's CNN town hall. Of course they weren't. Or, of course they weren't. Elite Ivy Leaguers know which side they're on, and it's not Bernie's. In 1912, 20,000 textile workers went on strike in Lawrence, Massachusetts. Most women and mostly immigrants they face violent military and police repression in what is known today as the bread and roses strike lawrence is not far from harvard university naturally harvard long a stronghold for the ruling elite shows the side of the mill owners the university even offered academic credit to students who joined the national guard and took up arms against the strikers they advertised this program with the motto defend your class harvard has long known which side of the fight it's on while the institution developed uh, savvier optics since 1912, it's still dedicated to reproducing the dominant class. Just this month, a Harvard dean publicly expressed his concern about the erosion of faith in capitalism and asked, what can we do to make sure that society's trust in capitalism remains strong and can be rebuilt? While Harvard scholars may receive sizable grants to study the externalities of capitalism, the integrity and political stability of the profit-driven economic system remains one of the institution's primary concerns. In 2016, Bernie Sanders trounced Hillary Clinton among college-age young people at the national level. Not at Harvard, though. The Harvard class of 2016 opted for Clinton over Sanders by an astonishing two-to-one margin. Wow. Is it any wonder, then... And this is among a group of people who was voting, in some cases, 89% for Sanders at caucuses. Is it any wonder that in the Northeast, you know, Boston is like the, the, one of the most leftist cities in the Anglo world, mm-hmm. yet this is, uh, you know, so it's clearly along class lines. Is it any wonder then that at a town hall for Democratic presidential primary candidates hosted by Harvard and attended primarily by Harvard students, Bernie Sanders got the short end of the stick. He's a socialist politician who talks openly about eliminating parasitic industries and has uttered the words, this is class warfare and we're going to stand up and fight. A Harvard student asked Sanders about the failures of socialism in nearly every country that has tried it. The question was met with applause from the 200 Harvard students in attendance. So in on the Fox News debate, 
they go to a fucking industrial town that got destroyed when their mm-hmm. um, factory closed or mill or whatever mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> in, I think, West Virginia. Or I think uh, or Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Yeah. So Fox News goes to like a le- kind of a left wing stronghold and CNN goes to the elites hangout. <laughs> the, the, the belly of they the might as, Yeah, they might as well be in the fucking Yale Club. Yeah. Okay, so uh, the question was all right. Naturally, no question about the failures of capitalism was posed to any of the candidates. The lopsidedness shows the degree to which capitalism is taken for granted as the only palatable economic system among Harvard students, despite its failure to provide a decent standard of living for hundreds of millions at home and billions of people across the globe. Another student asked Sanders to answer for the million dollars he made from his best selling book, questioning whether it undermines your authority as someone who's railed against millionaires and billionaires. No other candidate was asked whether their personal phone calls to billionaires soliciting donations or their close friendships with Silicon Valley tycoons contradicted their claims to represent ordinary people. Finally, Sanders was asked about his plan to extend voting rights to all convicted felons, even if they've been convicted of terrorism or sexual assault. When he answered that everyone deserves to be able to vote, Harvard students live blogging the event took the opportunity to imply, in the most eye way possible, that his support for expanded suffrage shows a lack of concern for sexual assault victims. The phrase carceral feminism has rarely been so apt. Sanders answered these questions deftly, but there's no denying that this town hall was less favorable to him than the one he did in eastern Pennsylvania last week on Fox News. I believe Ivy League undergrads aren't his core constituency and never will be. Are you surprised that a politician who openly advocates for the working majority's interests fared better in a deindustrialized Pennsylvania steel town than he did before a firing squad of students from the nation's most elite university? Don't be. Just remember the mandate to defend your class. Um, and it goes on, but, uh, so these are, and these are the nature of these attacks. I mean, in, uh, uh, in general, this is what it's going to look like from here on out, basically. And this is what people like Pete Buttigieg are, Beetlejuice. Um, Beetlejuice are aimed at. So Buttigieg is, they see him as a sniper rifle aimed at Bernie's head and it's not going to work, but they don't have any other option. So mm-hmm. it should be understand it, it should be understood largely as a class war and i mean that's sort of what the article is getting at Mm -hmm. but the class war is against us from the democratic party and the democratic insiders or whatever the people who control the party control who gets money from within the party etc etc i was only gonna say i mean what came to mind when you were reading that was i was reminded again of the the quote i think we've used that uh, slavoj zizek appropriated from somebody else i forget who about it's easier to imagine the end of the world than many in capitalism and i suddenly wanted to read mark fisher there we go thank you i wanted to re reinterpret or reimagine that quotation uh, by thinking about class and i never had before and that's i'm sort of embarrassed about that but so so who's doing the who's doing the imagining with the russia investigation that's all right. Who's doing the imagining is my is what I want to say. And so is it harder for, again, Harvard liberals or centrists to imagine the end of capitalism than it is for the working class? Because I imagine the working class can imagine the end of capitalism mm-hmm. pretty easily, um, but they just don't have you know, access in the same way to the means of production in terms of Hollywood films or news media or, or whatever. And so that's why we don't see those versions of the end of capitalism, even though I, I want to believe people can't imagine it it's just not something that we get to see a lot of on the internet or film right uh, <clears throat> or the mainstream media so right uh to to put this as starkly as possible and to your to that exact point uh 
This next article is the, the this article is entitled Pelosi says socialism is not the view of the Democratic Party, and then it has a video about Trump and healthcare. Um, <laughs> uh, to For those which, who don't like to read, uh, to, <laughs> to my to which my response on Facebook was to Pelosi, "We'll see about that, Skeletor." Um, <laughs> now, and I don't need to go into Pelosi's position; she's been pretty vocal about that. But here. Um, as a counterpoint, and definitely to your point about the working class being able to imagine the end of capitalism, this next article is entitled, Bernie Sanders' campaign has more money than the DNC, the DSCC, and the DCCC combined. So these these fundraising arms of the DNC, the DSCC, which is the Senate and then the DCCC, which is for Congress, these they're they have been restructured in such a way that the DNC has total veto power over all policies for all candidates um, and makes them sign loyalty pledges, saying they won't basically they'll toe the party line, irrespective of you know whatever. Um, <clears throat> Bernie's outraised all of these orgs combined, and we are four months into. Uh, or we are whatever twenty months out from the election. I just uh, I, it's it's funny we're doing this today. I just gave him money today on the interwebs. It wasn't much, but it was a, it was you know just to be on the list. Yeah, well that's yeah. I. But that's insane. Yeah, I'm burnt out from giving him money. I gave him like four hundred dollars, and then they fucked him over. I but my I was pissed about that, and I didn't get in on the class class action lawsuit. But the, mm-hmm. I mean, so you know, so be it. But in retrospect, it, it was. Even so, it was money well spent because yeah. now we're here. So I accept the loss. I agree. Um, Senator Bernie Sanders is currently leading the Democratic Party in money raised. And according to campaign finance records, he has more money on the Democratic Party's leading. Excuse me. He has more money than the Democratic Party's leading campaign organizations. Reddit user Lone Star Mike 59 uh, recently combed the finding filings of the Democratic National Con- Committee the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee and the uh, DCCC, all of which coordinate fundraising for candidates running for federal office in both the House and the Senate. When factoring the total assets of the three orgs, including current debt on their respective balance sheets, Lone Star Mike 59 found that all these organizations are still as not as, not as flush with cash as Sanders' 2020 campaign. Um, so... <clears throat> And, and I think that's significant because we're talking about we're talking about the campaign orgs for like how many Democratic senators are there like forty or and then however many House members. Mm-hmm. So this is li- and the DNC itself, the org that put that raised what how many how much money did Hillary Clinton spend in twenty sixteen? Oh, I don't know. Certainly a lot. Billions. Um, Bernie's outpacing all of them himself without their backing in the face of whatever. So. The working class can imagine the end of at least this version of this type of system, this mm-hmm. political system. Mm-hmm. Um, but the establishment refuses to, mm-hmm. and they will they will die on that hill. Literally, mm-hmm. I don't know if the Democratic Party in its current form can survive uh, Bernie twenty twenty. No matter what they kind of bullshit they pull. No, I agree. Um, and I I don't. I mean, unless you're Lone Star Mike fifty nine, uh, I am not. <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't. I want to. It. I want to trust this. Uh, this post, and I hope this is. Well, accurate, no, they checked but, it. I okay, mean, they checked it against the uh, the filings. The FEC filings. Okay, well, that's good. I mean, part of me, the reason I'm being somewhat skeptical is I feel like that. There's no way that's even possible. Um, but uh, maybe it is, right? Um, well, I'll just read the terms n- of cash on hand. I'll just read the numbers just to that point. Sure. The math checks out on Lone Star Mike's 59 post. According to the DNC first quarter filing with the FEC, the organization has 9.3 million in cash on hand as of March 31st, 2019, but also has 6.5 million in outstanding debts loan and loans sure. owed. The DS Triple C is still deeply in the red with 19 million in outstanding debts, and loans owed, uh, and only. $12.7 million in cash on hand. The DCCC, for its part, is the most financially stable of three orgs with $14.8 million cash on hand and $6 million in debts as of March uh, 31. So <clears throat> we're talking about in the black, but nevertheless, I mean, Bernie shouldn't even be close to that. Cash on hand, yeah. No, this is, I mean, this is super fascinating, especially if this is, if this turns out to be true, because it only, um, given this trajectory and the, given the fact that we've already just discussed in the past that Bernie also registered as a, an independent, right, for his Senate candidacy um, and so on, uh, we're, uh, you know, hopefully that means he's willing to play dirty and that he might have the, unlike last time, he might have the Democrats by the, you know, by the whatever, by the balls, so to speak, insofar as if he's got more money than them and he can just threaten to run as an independent and take all those voters with him, uh, it's going to be, I mean, I think they're going to be forced to negotiate the, the Democrats, what I mean. And, and I don't, again, that doesn't mean they're not going to still try to screw him over, but um, I think they're going to be forced into a negotiation at some point and he might have um, a pretty, a pretty solid hand. Yeah. It's fine to be skeptical. That's I, I accept that, but I'm just mm-hmm. want to be absolutely clear. They're just quoting the FEC. Oh, right. No, 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 here. no. Yeah. Okay. I'm down. Um, I was shifting over to this sort of long-term strategy oh, and how he yeah. plays this out as an independent and so on. Uh, uh, yeah. I, w- he shouldn't negotiate with them. I, I think you're right. I mean, I think that's how they'll see it. And I think in under normal circumstances, that would make sense. Like you, you maybe have a running mate that's uh, to the right of Elizabeth Warren or something, um, sure. which is stupid. But and I hope he doesn't do it anyway. But um, there's no re like that's the normal way of doing business and i think politically it it makes sense in the sense that like unions negotiate with bosses on behalf collectively which is what this kind of amounts to this is sort of like bernie sanders as the jimmy hoffa of the democratic party um it's not enough skull cracking for my taste but you know nevertheless but when it when it's this ugly in terms of like he he has more money of, than the entire Democratic establishment. Again, whatever twenty months out from an election or whatever it is, um, they're not in a position to negotiate with him. Mm-hmm. They're going to structure it so that that becomes a necessity uh, or perceived necessity. But yeah, if they can just walk away, mm-hmm. I mean, this is the Jimmy Hoffa thing. I mean, now as I'm saying it and thinking it through, like it, it's a very strong in terms of an analogy, because that's effectively what you have to threaten the bosses with is just walking off is going on strike. It's just, mm-hmm. le- you know, re- withholding labor and taking all that support with you. Yeah. yeah. Which is, I, I highly recommend David Mamet's, uh, Jimmy um, movie Hoffa starring Jack Nicholson as Jimmy Hoffa, which it, it show as though, even though, I mean, Mamet has like, 
outed himself to be a reactionary of late, it's still there's still a certain power and potency to what Hoff, like that that what militant labor can look like, even if it became corrupted later on. And I don't think that's false historically either. I mean, that's you know that's that's the nature of the right wing drift of labor unions post the seventies or whatever. But um, it's still worth looking at in terms of like here's what real unapologetic strong labor can look like and without that we're we're kind of fucked which we'll get to in a bit here um so pelosi says socialism isn't our brand basically sanders disproves that with money with dollars which is supposed to be what the dnc is after Mm -hmm. so jimmy Dore's argument for three years and he's not wrong um is that the dnc sees their base as the donor class it's who they can extract wealth from who they can pull financing from and that determines who's in leadership who can raise the most money what what defies that logic or will have defied that logic is when bernie ends up raising a billion dollars from small donors or however that plays and they still want to fuck them over so Mm -hmm. then it becomes even more stark that on its face, what they're really afraid of is a progressive takeover, mm-hmm. even if there's money behind it. It's, yeah, it becomes almost pathological at that point. Yeah, it's purely a, it. Sh- it demonstrates that they really, truly that it's not hyperbolic to say that they are just the shields of capitalism. Mm-hmm. Capital. They are just bootlickers, and that's it. And that's their role is to soften the way for the Republicans to dismantle the country. Mm-hmm. And should be viewed in in that way. Again, unless Bernie somehow wrests control of the party away from them, installs, uh, you know, Allende-esque government, uh, you know, political apparatus within the DNC, wipes out the superdelegates and restructures the party back into something like an American Labor Party. Not that it ever really was, but something like they're doing in the UK. Um, Short of that, they will never stop being what they are. And so they should be treated as the enemy. And we should understand ourselves to be in enemy territory when tarrying with the Democrats. And I'm not saying people shouldn't do that. There are ways the DSA has been effective in at least disrupting some of the ideological, disrupting the ideological facade, shattering it maybe with people like AOC and Ilan Omar. Uh, Ilan Omar's not in DSA, I don't believe, but. No, you know, in solidarity or whatever, the left wing of the Democratic Party or people who associate themselves with the Democratic Party, that should be encouraged. Um, <laughs> and we should exploit whatever opportunities we can. But we all should, should at the same time, 100 percent expect that the DNC will never change what they're doing until they're just basically destroyed or thrown out of power. I know it's early yet, too, but I was, I mean, to the polling issue and the Google thing we mentioned last week, um, I, I wanted to sort of check that sort of fact and who's polling higher at, uh, with these other organizations, too, not just Google and various polling firms and, the, you know, the think tanks and all that. Um, and when you look at some of these, we have collections of different polls from different states. Um, you know, and it's er- again, it's early yet, but at least in Iowa, it looks like, for better or worse, uh, Biden is leading the polls. He's ahead of Bernie. Bernie's ahead in New Hampshire, 
at this point in South Carolina. These are the, the top primary caucus states, the first few. Um, I think it's I think it's Biden again, but not by much. He hasn't announced either. Really yeah, like. exactly. And so it's um, is he going to announce? And if so, you know, what is that going to look like? And we don't He's know. But he's supposed it, so. to announce like tomorrow. But uh, nevertheless, yes. I'm just saying. No, fair enough. So if if he does, um, you know, we'll see what that looks like. But like so, without a Biden, I mean, you're right. Um, Bernie's clearly number one by a lot ahead of anybody else. Um, but we'll see if Biden changes that calculus. And even if he does, um, I don't I don't know how long he can. I don't know how long this will go. Bernie can probably win in New Hampshire. He can probably win a lot of these other industrial Midwestern states. Um, you're talking about win the primary? Correct. Primary caucus. So yeah. I think we should clarify something here. When you're talking about these polls that are showing Biden in the lead, mm-hmm. I would really want to get into the data and see if they're talking about. So the way you ask the yeah. question obviously matters. Right. But here's what, and I, this is just to elucidate for the listener if they're mm-hmm. unaware. If you ask people the question in the following way, are you a Democrat, Republican, or independent? Mm-hmm. If everybody says they're an independent, which most of the country is identifies as independent, right. and then among those pe- self-identified Democrats, they say, you know, Biden, Biden Bernie, or Kamala Harris, or whatever, Judah Judge, um, then yes, you're more likely to get a Biden-centric right. answer right. because people who identify as Democrats are more likely to vote for Biden. But in the place like Iowa, in an I- the Iowa caucus, anybody can participate in the democratic caucus including mm-hmm. all those independents mm-hmm. so we can't to me like it's 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 relevant to point that out um but i i do not take that at all seriously it, mm-hmm. i take that with a grain of salt in terms of actual caucus numbers sure um and i think that's extremely important because this isn't a question like i'm fine with being skeptical but i'm way more skeptical of any polls that are showing biden ahead of bernie mm-hmm. i don't think that makes any sense when fox news polls show bernie when they ask who like basically like who do you support in 2020 and people say bernie over trump mm-hmm. in fox news polls i i don't i can't imagine that the actual Bernie's actual base is represented in a number where Biden comes out ahead. I don't I don't understand that at all. I mean, maybe I'm just wrong, but I don't think <clears throat> I don't think there's any honestly factual basis, empirical basis for that. So I know. Yeah, no, I don't disagree. I think a lot of this polling stuff is I mean, we you and I both know political scientists who take that stuff pretty seriously. But it's again from the. From the methodology to the way the question is asked, all that stuff. I mean, it's, you can't really take a lot of it seriously, especially at this point, this far from um, the actual caucuses and primaries. I only wanted to bring it up as just um, the sort of follow-up to the discussion we had last week and what some of the other quote-unquote polls suggest at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, you know, I don't know if it's a new wrinkle or not, but it's uh, basically I'm sort of doubling down on the fact that absent Biden, who hasn't declared, Bernie's way ahead. Oh, Still. yeah. And even probably would be even with this Biden candidacy per the reasons you mentioned. Right. Uh, and to that point, like Sanders, this other article, Sanders releases internal polls showing a lead over Trump in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin and Michigan. So, the, you know, famously, obviously, this the swing the states that were not supposed to be swing states that handed Trump the election. Um, it, we're, we're talking about. So according to internal data released by released to reporters by so this is by sanders campaign so you know grain of salt perhaps sanders is up by double digits in michigan and wisconsin Mm -hmm. 
by 11 points and 10 points respectively and Leeds and Pennsylvania by eight points. Um, the, the poll did not measure Democratic candidates against Trump in head-to-head matchups, and it did not include a scenario in which a third-party candidate like former Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz is also on the ballot. I mean, which is funny because, like, if you include Howard Schultz on there, I think Bernie even draws and pulls another 10 points out of that. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't, you know, they're not going to be pulling from Bernie's side. Right. Um, but, like, yeah, I just, th- there's no, and this isn't just my feeling or something. Like, I just, I can't imagine, I can't imagine a situation where s- basically since, March 2015, Bernie has been polling as the most popular politician in the country in Fox News polls and mm-hmm. still is. Mm-hmm. And Biden is somehow ahead. I mean, yeah, he's ahead with people who call themselves Democrats, right? Or whatever. So maybe I should just say, maybe you're right, but that sector only represents mm-hmm. 15% of the entire population. Right. It doesn't matter at the general election level, national. Yeah. He's whatever. like, he's winning that 15% right, of right, the right. vote. Um, so, uh, let's see, where are we next? Well, and maybe, well, and just while you look for sure. that, maybe to your point. So I've been, I have this former student who comes and talks to me at uh, my job now where he's actually going to be a medical student. Um, and he was an undergraduate and I had him in class a few times. And he at the time was a kid from Western North Dakota, very conservative, oil country and so on. And we got into these debates in the class setting at the undergrad level, um, and he's whether it's maturity or just conversations you have with me or other people, friends and family too, girlfriend, who knows, <laughs> that he's hanging out with. Um, he's telling me now, like he's he's moving to the left on all this stuff, right? And I remember him thinking Bernie Sanders was a kook, et cetera, in 2016, and here he is saying like this, I'm I'm down with this, like college should be free stuff now and Medicare for all. And um, oh, he had to get a job, you mean? <laughs> exactly, and that's part of what I'm getting at too. But I was also going to say that. The polls notwithstanding, and the, you know, we can see how Biden polls well, for example, amongst the old people, right? And but Bernie, as we knew in 2016, too, crushed it amongst young, young folks, students, you know, Harvard notwithstanding. And I think there's only going to be more of those folks this time, and the young people get it because of the, you know, the, the no future prospect. And, um, I mean, I, I want to continue to have hope that these. These younger people are going to save us, but well, they're the only ones who can. Yeah, Um, I I don't. There were we talking about this on on the mic on mic. I can't remember, but they're just no. I was. uh, It was we were at we were at a benefit for a friend uh, Mm -hmm. who's again has a huge medical cost. That's right. Or not covered. Health insurance coverage benefit. And I I was just uh, noting that like. I had been at like a punk show the night before and to see a band of like these, uh, these, these kids I know from just, they used to work at a thrift store that I frequent. And so I was just kind of supporting, supporting their, you know, endeavors. And, uh, I was at this show. There were like dudes who were like kissing each other openly. And it was not, it wasn't like, it wasn't even that no one was batting an eyelash. It didn't fucking register with anybody. Mm-hmm. And that's amazing. I mean, when we were coming up, that would have been cardinal sin problem. I like mm-hmm. I don't even it would have been so terrifying for someone to do. Mm-hmm. 
I don't, and we're talking about amongst in the punk scene, like among the probably most left wing people in the state, uh, and the and young people. I think there would have been a conflict at least. Like there would have been some people who would have stood up and tried to like protect these people or at least, you know, whatever, like defend them. But uh it would have been a huge deal. There'd been a response, yeah. Yeah. Um cuz even though there was like sort of implicit or maybe explicit support for like LGBT people, it was nothing you could ever do in public. Right. Uh, even in that context, uh, at least here. I mean, I yeah. don't know. Maybe other parts of the state is different. I hope so. But now, you know, fast forward, whatever, 20 years, like it's not even they, – they don't even – they're just better than us. Like they're just better <laughs> yeah, people. Human beings, they, yeah. they know more shit than us. <laughs> right. Uh, they they seem to be even more supportive of each other, right. not just for that reason, but just as in a general sense, right. at, at least explicitly. I, yeah, I get that sense amongst my own children too. Yeah, like, and there's like I can't even hold a candle. Well, to right. Yeah, them as humans. It's uh and so I mean, if we haven't destroyed things by the time they get close to being able to do something, mm-hmm. they they will be the only ones who can. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, we're kind of in this you and I are in this very middle period of history. Like we're technically exennials or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um uh, on paper, but like facing the same future as everybody else and so like we're sort of the bridge between like having having had to deal with boomer parents and all their hypocrisy and political bullshit that i think i've talked about on the show before to this younger generation who is just like so plugged in Mm -hmm. so like like forget a let's like leave aside the da- the the problems with social media and how destructive it probably is psychologically in terms of access to information in terms of like what they know or can know instantly versus what we had access to mm-hmm. and what it took to find new shit or whatever um or and I'm talking just like almost just strictly educational at an educational level there's no authority left because the authority is externalized onto like uh I think Mill uh, Jacqueline Miller or Milner was arguing a few years ago something about how Google is now the master signifier in the Lacanian sense. Um, basically, that the site of knowledge is externalized. It is not the teacher anymore who has mm-hmm. any authority because the kids can just Google it, like, or even talk show hosts. Like, why does Joe Rogan have Jamie? Googling shit constantly because people are going to scream at him if he says the wrong word that's not like factually accurate. So he just like trunk it. He he gets ahead of it by just Googling it himself. Um, But that's that's a different, totally different reality. Like the whole the whole like premise, I think, of punk, the punk scene, even in, you know, back then was it was more like directly anti-authoritarian precisely because we had to constantly be dealing with this institutional authority as that actually had fucking power Mm -hmm. now it really doesn't i don't really think that plays anymore at least not in the same way that it used to and i'll get to a darker example of that uh in a little bit but to kind of to transition into um this next section segment i'm calling black hole redo uh so we're talking about black holes the last couple shows or the last show physicists have discovered that rotating black holes might serve as portals for hyperspace travel so again we don't know anything (laughs) 
now all of a sudden science science fiction fantasies are becoming just real. Chris Nolan knew. <laughs> well, he he was he had he had an idea. That's for sure. <laughs> right. Um, Involving Matthew McGoogleberry. Yeah. Uh, so, and and so I want to kind of like double down on this notion of a mm. black hole um, politically. And but kind of to like reverse things. So Bernie fell into the black hole of not being listed as the Democratic candidates on the Master Signifiers website. Mm-hmm. Um, now I want to push past what Bernie's even talking about uh, and point to the the nascent campaign of Mike Gravel from I think he was in Alaska, mm-hmm. former Alaska senator. He's eighty eight years old. Um, his his a. Uh, his Twitter account, he handed over his Twitter account literally to three teenagers who were trying to get an anti-war voice on the debate stage. Mm-hmm. And so he uh, he released the following campaign ad, which I'm going to play in a moment. And these are just mostly clips. Uh, the, you can't see um, what's happening. I'll sort of narrate it. But basically, he's just it's showing clips of him in the past, like hammering Biden at debates about mm-hmm. being in you know, a warmonger and shit like that. Um, but that's what it's in order to get a serious anti-war voice. And we can talk about Tulsi Gabbard, but he goes beyond her. Mm-hmm. We have to rely on literally three teenagers in a trench coat dressed as Mike Gravel. Um, and his goal is, so he wants, he's asking for $1 donations because the, the, the way the DNC debate rules are written now, I think you have to get 65,000 individual contributions would yeah. be polling at one percent so uh you'll see why i highly recommend supporting mike Gravel in this very easy way i will literally pay you to fucking donate a dollar if it's a money thing I'll do it tonight <laughs> so here is here's three teenagers and an <laughs> iphone yep um and i think i talked about how it was three teenagers in a trench coat before but now we have <laughs> now we have it uh, his his position um, in his own words. Sorry, this is taking a while to load. Here we go. So let's maybe bring up the topic of the day, which is the Green New Deal. How much will this cost? That's unclear. How will we pay for it? Unknown. It's not realistic. Because there's no way to pay for it. It's immoral. The younger generation now tells me how tough things are. Give me a break. This is no, Biden. No. I have no empathy. I'm guided by the beauty of our weapons. Brian I think Williams. Medicare for all is one of the possible paths. Beto so I decided I was going to start prosecuting parents for truancy. This was a little controversial. Kamala Harris. <laughs> he did ask you yes or no. Would you support no. free college for all? I am not for free four-year college for all. No. I mean, it's Klobuchar. Cuts to Mike Gravel with a cane sitting on a bench. 88 years old and pissed. Shaking his head at this bullshit. Human beings are being killed as I speak to you tonight. Killed as a direct result of policy decisions we as a body have made this approach of war on drugs has not succeeded we've spent billions of dollars on it and we fill up our prisons 
to the point where we're the embarrassment of the world. We're supposed to be a democracy. We've got more people in prison, 2.3 million people in prison. We spend more as a nation on defense than all the rest of the world put together. This whole nation should be a sanctuary for the world. I'm ashamed as an American to be building a fence on our southern border. That's not the America that I fought for. Our soldiers died in Vietnam in vain. You can now, John, go to Hanoi and get a Baskin Robbins ice cream cone. Why do they hate us so in so many places around the world? Because we kill so many people wantonly. Oh, Joe, I'll include you too. You have a certain arrogance. You wanna, you wanna tell the Iraqis how to run their country. And we can get off of gasoline in five years, and we can get off of carbon in 10 years. All we gotta do is want to do it. Just play, get out, it's their country. They're asking us to leave, and we insist on staying there. The military-industrial complex not only controls our government, lock, stock, and barrel, but they control our culture. That was Gravel throwing a rock into a river and the ripples coming out. America needs a voice for justice. Help Mike Gravel to get the debates. Get to the debates to be that voice. Mike needs 65,000 donations to be part of the debates. Donate as little as $1. time to make some waves for change. I'm Mike Gravel, and I'm running for president. I remember all that stuff from 2008, it must have been. Yep. And it was... I remember it being incredible at the time, too, and of course, it just did not play, right, right, amongst the establishment. And even, I mean, millennials weren't old enough to vote, they weren't paying attention, and they were, et cetera. Um, well, I mean, maybe not millennials, the, the Z, whatever generation that is. Right. Um, but holy cow, like, that's amazing. Right. First of all. And so, yeah. the you know, just to <coughs> double down here, like you're saying, that fell into a black hole. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much of it I remember, but I mean, watching it now, it's still shocking. Mm-hmm. Like this is to way to the left of Bernie, right? Um, and so he, Gravel has uh, pledged to. So his goal is to get on the debate stage. Right. That's I was reading the text of what was on the screen. So he w- he wants to get an anti-war voice on the Democratic debate stage, and will throw support behind the most progressive candidate left after the debates because he you know he acknowledges he's too old to stand for president. Um, so <clears throat> this is I mean this is vitally fucking important. I mm-hmm. think uh, if Bernie's unable or unwilling to go that far, then we should we need who however we can get there. We need somebody on in public saying what was just said right no i agree we gotta uh, i mean hell i want to go and throw him 40 bucks right now or something like that but in part because as a strategy too and maybe this is what you're gesturing toward it makes me think of you know malcolm x and and martin luther king you know if 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 the 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 fox newses or the establishment of the folks in the center have to deal with a mike gravel suddenly bernie looks that much more reasonable right and they can work with him um, and that might only help him in the long run accomplish that goal. And push him to the left. Exactly. That's part of it, too. So uh, there was a sort of uh, soft debate. or um, it, wasn't even, it wasn't even a disagreement that I had with a friend in 2016 about Bernie and Palestine. So Bernie was not anti – he was not pro-Palestinian enough. Sure. I, don't think he, I don't even know if he was pro-Palestinian. Sure. And my, my wager at that time was – and this is speaking to your point, my wager at that time was Bernie is not positioned, was not positioned. Again, we have to remember what 2016 looked like. Mm-hmm. Nobody would look at him 
in the media, mm-hmm. uh, Trump got 22 times more coverage than him. Hillary got whatever, 15 times mm-hmm. or 13 times as much. Um, he was a joke. Washington Post ran 16 straight hit pieces on him leading up to mm-hmm. whatever, the <clears throat> bigger primaries. And there was no one to the left of him, essentially. Is that fair right. to say? That's, no, there wasn't. Which, so he couldn't get pulled to the left when he should have been. Like Lincoln Ch- Lincoln champion <laughs> may I mean sure he he wasn't even talking about real enough shit. I didn't necessarily yeah. hate him, but he wasn't right. I think he ultimately threw his support behind Bernie and then there was mm-hmm. that Baltimore mayor guy who was like just another neoliberal stooge. I mean nobody yeah. wanted to get in front of Hillary Clinton. That's what it boiled down right. to. Nobody wanted to get taken out basically. Um so uh, but what I'm getting at is the way Bernie was positioned, like you're saying, nobody's to the left of him. He was totally marginalized by the media, attacked relentlessly, mm-hmm. um, silenced and laughed at the whole time. If he would have got if he would have gone out with a strong anti-imperialist pro-Palestinian message, they might have figured out a way to actually take him out. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> I'm not defending him. Not supporting Palestinians. It was the, probably the wrong move in retrospect because, like, they're going to fuck them anyway, so we might as well go harder. Right. Um, however, what I did say was if he gets – if it gets to the point where he gets the nomination or uh, or whatever, once he's opened this – or if he wins a presidency, at that point he can become pro-Palestinian because he has enough political heat behind mm-hmm. him. But at the time he had basically – he had nothing but the the people – um, and as we see with the party machinations, that's not enough. Now he's calling Netanyahu a racist on TV. That's that should be seen as a much bigger political earthquake than it has been. I mean, especially in this age of anti. I mean, the charge that Ilhan Omar is anti-Semitic right. and so on. Like, whoa! I mean, calling the, the leader of Israel a racist is, I think, far more inflammatory than anything she's done. Exactly. But he's. He looks like he looks, and she looks like she looks, and she's a target. Well, I, I mean, there's, there's that, but I, I kind of don't give a shit about that, sure, because, um, it's not false. You're right, of course. Like, she, it's she's an easier target. Number one, she doesn't have the political heat he does. Right. She's a freshman congresswoman. She's got more balls than him, hundred mm-hmm. percent. Mm-hmm. Um, but i think more what's more important about that comparison is the fact that she like i've been saying she was taking the political hits to make that something you could talk about in the mainstream political discourse mm-hmm. now he this is the proving my point with enough enough political heat behind him and with enough out of the way he can now go and criticize netanyahu sure. who was a racist sure and so with Mike Gravel on the debate stage, there's no reason – and I'm, I'm talking about I'll, – I'll explain why I I didn't trust Bernie, but I he was the most trustworthy candidate in 2016. The reason was he was saying the same shit basically he'd said 30 years ago, mm-hmm. and he'd only softened it very slightly. And what I mean by that is he, he, he wasn't <laughs> – back when he was like mayor of uh, Burlington, Burlington or whatever – he was saying that we need socialism. Like he was basically like openly anti-capitalist and he just doesn't say it in this. He, he doesn't say it as strongly, mm-hmm. which I mean, I wish he would, but that's fine. He's still saying we need socialism and you know, all the, basically he just names all the things that would be made better by a welfare state. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
at least accepts democratic socialism as uh as something he identifies with so <clears throat> if mike Ravel gets on the debate stage with this anti-imperialist message and just rakes kamala harris and cory booker and even bernie you know mm-hmm. over the coals and even maybe tulsi uh if if gravel comes to the left of everybody then that gives Bernie the opportunity after the fact mm. to to say exactly the same thing once he's you know gained even more political position because he will over time knock out Buttigieg and Kamala Harris and so mm. on and so <clears throat> that's why it's important so I think we should I think we should be very aware of the fact that like because someone isn't saying the right thing all the time doesn't mean that they don't want the opportunity to do that later. Right. We should understand how opportunistic we need to be in terms of pushing these things truly to the left. So any, any gambit that gets us there is worth doing. It's mm-hmm. not the end of the road. It's not good enough, but in the moment that we're in, if our only hope for a future is Bernie and even maybe that's not good enough, we can't sacrifice the opportunities that are provided by people like with the fucking principle and the balls of Mike Gravel. I mean, mm. I can't, I don't, I don't know many 88 year olds, let alone many who would stand for president uh, in this situation. Mm-hmm. No, I, I mean, listening to that, the clips of him at the, on the debate stage in 2008 um, and just seeing the targets of his attacks and what ended up with those careers, Hillary, Obama, Biden, part of me wants to say, Get him on the stage, have him attack the shit out of Bernie. That will actually help Bernie. Right. In fact, he'll become he'll become one of the group. He's more elevated. He's more mainstreaming, and he's not that lunatic, eighty-eight year old. Um, he'll look young <laughs> in comparison, yep. and I think I think that can only help him. So. And so, to this point about perhaps redefining what what it means to be a principled person, um, or re- reasserting it, perhaps the. <laughs> I want to make a point that Zizek's made for a very long time, which is we should never uh, s- never give ground to the right wing and allow them to claim to be morally superior to the left. Because, and his example has always been, who did more to destroy the family, uh, the economic underpinnings of what allows family life to go on and family values to exist, if not Reagan? Mm-hmm. Um, if not, you know, the neoconservatives and all the austerity that they impose, who, cause who hurts, who suffers women and children. Um, and so the, the, the right wing failure of family values, let alone any of the values they use in a moralistic shell game for massive power grabs is the shoe shiners of the masters of society. <laughs> should be seen precisely as that, that they are the cynical ones. They are the opportunists. They are full of shit. Well, it, for what am I referring to here? Next, this is, um, this is a clip from Democracy Now! last week where Chomsky was asked about Trump. Share your analysis of President Trump. You have lived through so many presidents. Explain President Trump to us and assess the massive response to him. Well, Trump is, uh, you know, I think there are 
a number of illusions about Trump. If you take a look at the Trump phenomenon, it's not very surprising. Think back for the last uh, 10 or 15 years over Republican Party primaries and remember what happened during the primaries. Each primary, when some candidate rose from the base, they were so outlandish that the Republican establishment uh, tried to crush them and succeeded in doing it. Uh, Michelle Bachman, uh, Herman Cain, uh, Rick Santorum, uh, anyone who was coming out of the base was totally unacceptable to the establishment. The change in 2016 is they couldn't crush it. But the interesting question is, why was this happening? Why, in election after election, was the voting base producing a candidate utterly intolerable to the establishment? And the answer to that uh, is, if you think about that, the answer is not very hard to discover. During the, since the 1970s, during this neoliberal period, both of the political parties have shifted to the right. The Democrats, by the 1970s, have pretty much abandoned the working class. Um, and the last uh, gasp of more or less progressive Democratic Party legislative pro uh, proposals was the uh, Humphrey Hawkins Full Employment Act in uh, 1978, which Carter watered down so that it had no teeth, just became voluntary. But the Democrats had pretty much abandoned the working class. They became pretty much what used to be called moderate Republicans. Uh, meanwhile, the Republicans shifted so far to the right that they went completely off the spectrum. Uh, the uh, uh, two uh, of the leading uh, political analysts of the uh, American Enterprise Institute, Thomas Mann, Norman Ornstein, about five or ten years ago, described the Republican Party as uh, what they called a radical insurgency that has abandoned parliamentary politics. Well, why did that happen? It happened because the Republicans face a difficult problem. They have a primary constituency, a real constituency. Uh, extreme wealth and corporate power. That's who they have to serve. That's their constituency. You can't get votes that way. So you have to do something else to get votes. What do you do to get votes? Uh, this was begun by Richard Nixon with the Southern strategy. Uh, try to pick up uh, racists in the South. Uh, the mid-1970s, uh, Paul Weyrich, the one of the Democrat, the Republican strategists uh, hit on a brilliant idea. Uh, uh, a nor a Northern Catholics voted Democratic, tended to vote Democratic, a lot of them working class. Uh, the Republicans could pick up that vote by pretending, crucially, pretending to be opposed to abortion. Uh, by the same pretense, they could pick up the evangelical vote. Those are big votes evangelicals, Northern Catholics. Uh, notice the word pretense, it's crucial, 
You go back to the 1960s, every leading Republican figure was strongly what we call now pro-choice. The Republican Party position was that's Ronald Reagan, uh, George H.W. Bush, uh, all the leadership. Uh, uh, their position was uh, uh, abor ab 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 abortion is not the government's business. It's a private business. Government has nothing to say about it. They turned almost on a dime in order to try to pick up a voting base on what are called cultural issues. Uh, same with gun rights. The gun rights become a matter of holy writ because you can pick up part of the population that way. In fact, what they've done is put together a coalition of voters based on issues that are uh, basically unex, you know, tolerable to the establishment, but they don't like it. Okay. And they've got to hold that th those two constituencies together. The real constituency of wealth and corporate power, they're taken care of by the actual legislation. So if you look at the legislation under Trump, it's just lavish gifts to the wealth and the corporate sector. Uh, the tax bill, uh, the deregulation, uh, you know, every case in point. Uh, that's uh, kind of the job of Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan, those guys. They serve the real constituency. Meanwhile, Trump has to maintain the voting constituency with one outrageous position after another that appeals to some sector of the, vo of the voting base. And he's doing it very skillfully. It's uh, as just as a political manipulation, it's skillful. Uh, work for the rich and the powerful, shaft everybody else, but get their votes. That's not a, it's not a, it's not an easy trick. And he's carrying it off, and I should say the Democrats are helping him. Well, no. All right, so <clears throat> uh, that was maybe a little long, but you get the idea. I mean, the importance here is that the the, Repo uh, the right is just lying. They don't give a fuck about family values. They literally don't even care about the issues that they s claim are about family values. It's all just a gambit to try and, like you are saying, split, split formerly Democratic bases off and aggregate that into this like insane off the spectrum ultra right uh mains quote unquote mainstream of political life in the US. And so the Chomsky rightly makes a distinction obviously between the democratic base and the young insurgency mm -hmm. um I don't know how young Mike Gravel and Bernie Sanders are but you know you get the idea uh <clears throat> they're obviously backed by they 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 exist as political figures at this point because of young people um, f trying to fight within the democratic shit show. Um, and so the, but that's, that's extremely important because it, if we sacrifice that terrain to the right, then we will continue to lose because these are precisely our issues at some level. We're the only, the left, and I'm talking to the left of the Democrats for sure. Um, that's that's the whole aim of class struggle is precisely that poor uh, women, children, people of color, <clears throat> just working class people are getting fucked by the system to the point of insane, you know, this insane health care 
disaster and economic disaster where we're told basically if you were to listen to the and this is Jimmy Dore's kind of like endless refrain with all of these Democratic candidates, uh, centrist establishment Democratic candidates like quote unquote centrist, they're right wingers, Buttigieg, Harris, <clears throat> Warren, even to some degree, but um Biden, et cetera, is that they're basically telling us that you don't get to have a fucking future and you don't even get to ask for it. You don't even get to want it. You just have to live in the fucking dirt and eat shit. Obviously, that message res resonates with absolutely no one except the most, you know, died in the wool, quote unquote, centrist fanatic. Uh, for the rest of us, meaning the rest of the population, meaning the 80 percent of Americans who mm -hmm. live paycheck to paycheck, et cetera. The ones who the people who have to ration insulin so that they maybe die a month later than they would otherwise because they can't afford it. Um, it's I mean, we can go on. We've gone on and on about all the horrors. Everybody knows it. The the question becomes the question that we're not allowed to ask, which is the question we need to be asking. And the question we need to be focusing on is not what's possible, but what is what is it that we want? Without that question, we don't get to hear people like Mike Gravel. We don't get to hear people like Bernie Sanders. We don't get Medicare for all tanking uh, health insurance companies, stocks. That, in 2015, we would have been laughed out of the fucking room. In 2016, we would have been laughed out of the fucking room. And we literally got the light shut out on us in, <clears throat> uh, in um, at the DNC. I'm trying to think where it was. Philadelphia. I was going to say Philly. Uh, <laughs> But now we've changed reality. We've pushed through enough people to get enough political heat behind them, AOC, Ilhan Omar, Bernie, um, to recalibrate what the possible is. The possible is always up for grabs. I, think, I guess if, if we're leaving it anywhere, you should be leaving it with that. Mm -hmm. We should never accept what, what is told to us as possible because – as you point out with Mark Fisher's quote, if it's easier to imagine the end of the world than the end of capitalism, then capitalism itself is the fetish. The economic system that does this to us, the belief that it can go on forever, that's the fetish to, for Zizek. That's the utopia because it can't go on forever. There are too many structural problems that will create some side, sort of breaking apart of this version of reality. And <clears throat> when when we're... When we're faced with a situation where we're told that hopelessness is our only future and we're told that we don't have a future because of climate change, something has to give. So we decide what gives and what has to move, I think, is like Chomsky's. He, he said earlier in this, uh, basically, like the Green New Deal is exactly the right idea, even mm -hmm. if we can criticize some of its specific features. That's exactly what we need. Now, I, I listened to that AOC video. Uh, the animated one and it brought me to tears and it was kind of shocking because she doesn't go far enough in that version of the Green New Deal but the the idea behind the video is that <clears throat> it's trying to imagine a future where we win we've won where we get a Green New Deal where we re recalibrate the society in a way that works for everyone and I was shocked at how affected I was by it because it was just even the hint of hope just like broke me apart because again, this is how we're told we have to live. We have to live in shit and poverty 
and no hope for the future. And that's just not true. It just doesn't need to be that way. And anybody telling you it, it needs to be that way is selling you some bullshit. So the first maybe move is just to cast all of that off. Because if we don't do that, we will repeat the neoliberal period. And what, it, at best. And to give a dark example of that, maybe the worst black hole I'll talk about today. The Boy Scouts of America now believe that more than 7,800 former leaders were involved in sexually abusing children over the course of 72 years, according to newly exposed court testimony, about 2,800 more leaders than previously known publicly. And another point that I mentioned before, uh, this other article was entitled Abuse of Faith, 20 Years, 700 Victims, Southern Baptist Sexual Abuse Spreads as Leaders Resist Reforms. You have these right-wing, supposedly Christian, supposedly family values-oriented organizations institutionally raping children for decades. It, I mean, which is not even to speak of, the obviously, the horrors of the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> these are... The, when we entrust family values to the right wing, they exploit and they hurt and they destroy people's lives because it's all about a power grab. It's all about, you know, establishing and reestablishing these cultish scenarios because under neoliberalism, everything gets reduced to individual power plays. That does not have to be our future. We can reject all of this. And the whistleblowing going on to expose all of this, this is part and parcel of that. So I'll get your response to that, and then I'll just close with the Zizek, or Zizek debate. Oh, well, I was just going to go right to that and suggest that I'm an old man and I have to I have to work in the morning. <laughs> but so I mean, you mentioned selling bullshit and neoliberalism as sort of uh, turning everything into this sort of uh, power grab, and that's um, that's what I saw in the one hour of this debate that I watched, which I thought was fascinating and hilarious right. in a variety of ways. And uh, I mean, I don't want to, I mean, there's really nothing for me to add to what you've been saying about Chomsky or about the Catholic church or the, the boy scouts. I mean, I agree with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything. And it's, it's horrifying. And I was, I mean, the only thing I would have added, I suppose before Zizek is that to the point of the headline that you have there about how the, the abuse spreads as the leaders resist reforms. That's a perfect description of the Democratic Party as well, mm-hmm. right? And right. so they're resisting the reforms, and we're seeing the the abuse of, you know, Democrats, of citizens of this country, uh, and so on. Um, and it's it's got to come to a breaking point, um, and I think it will, and, and maybe we're already there. Yeah, um, I hope that we are. And, I mean, maybe, <clears throat> and I think that this Zizek-Peterson, Jordan, uh, Slavoj Zizek and Jordan-Peterson debate uh, is was like kind of a hint of that, yeah, and a precursor perhaps. So yeah. this was like sort of jokingly referred to referred to by Zizek as the debate of the century, exactly. Um, and but in a sense, well, if I'm sorry to interrupt, weren't people like selling, tr- you know, trading tickets or buying and selling them up for like thousands of dollars? Uh, so off yeah, Peterson claims that yeah. they were getting they're scalping tickets and they were going for more than Maple Leafs playoff that's, games that's in right. Toronto, right? Um, now that's good. I mean, that's very progressive, <laughs> right? Even if Zizek would have lost the debate, which obviously he didn't. Um, so <clears throat> this is maybe like a glimmer of hope, but I think it's important to note that like, if, if this is the debate of the century and it, maybe it is, it's precisely because Peterson does stand in for pure, like neoliberal ideology in terms of what he's suggesting as the problem and the solution. And all of it is kind of reduced to individual responsibility. And man, that that sort of like 
I don't even know if you call it an ethical mandate. Right. But yeah, that the market basically can solve right. everything. Uh, and Zizek stands in for the the attempt, anyway, to critique ideology without the promise of a specific, without selling you a specific answer um, to the problem. And so, like, what was kind of, I didn't know really know what to expect. I knew that from prior interviews, Zizek had said he he wasn't really, all he was going to try and do was basically, uh, in part because, like, he's like, Peterson is good rhetorically, so I don't want to get too fucking tripped up. So he's like, I'm just going to basically make the argument, yeah, I don't like a political correctness either. If you don't like political correctness, then vote for Bernie Sanders. Um, just to kind of try and get some of Peterson's followers to at least consider a different idea. Mm-hmm. It went far beyond that in terms of what he was able to accomplish because Peterson took the tack of like – literally like an 11 year old's version of communism versus capitalism. He, he took it he took the whole debate seriously which i think was the first mistake the peterson yeah when well, the whole thing was just kind of a uh you know like a, sh- a, a sham. scam yeah. yeah uh i don't think he took it seriously oh okay um i think he if you mean just at a at a basic level, he like he, he tried to engage in debate with Zizek, who oh, was just I like see. fuck it. Like he just read a paper. Zizek read a paper, and he didn't debate any of specific points that Peterson made because who cares? Because to your point, and I'm interrupting, they were uh, you know those of an 11 year old, so. right? Um, right. So, I mean, I, I guess to me, it's insulting to the ideas. Even mm-hmm. the uh, even it's insulting to the the legacy of Adam Smith to say that Jordan Peterson was defending capitalism. <laughs> Right. Um, that's how bad it was. Right. Uh, let alone his like version of Marxism. So basically, what literally Peterson, um, he's his claim was okay. You're a communist, or you're a Marxist. I'm a capitalist. So I just read the Communist Manifesto. Right. And, and here's it. here's here's some factual errors in it, and it was just this utterly like. Again, I, it's it's worth listening to just comedically because it's mm-hmm. like, holy shit, he really is this flat-footed. Like, he really mm-hmm. is this bad at thinking. And he's taken seriously on the right as somebody worth listening to, at least mm-hmm. among young men. Um, <clears throat> and Chapo did, has some pretty good commentary prior to this debate about uh, who Peterson appeals to. And it really is like these... Like, the reason, like, his 12 rules for life, which are, like, clean your room, do one positive thing, you know, mm-hmm. this, this is kind of greeting card version of, like, ethics. Um, they were pointing out that it actually might help these people to do this shit because <laughs> they probably feel really disempowered and sure. really are disempowered. So maybe they do need – nobody's ever showed them how to, like, take care of themselves. And I was going to say, is there sort of an alt-right Peterson overlap? And that would be interesting to sort of track. Yeah, well, that's the idea. I yeah. mean – and there is, and so like, but Peterson was so honestly, and and I don't mean this morally. I just mean it intellectually pathetic mm-hmm. in his quote unquote engagement with mm-hmm. Marxism. That uh, there were immediately after on 4chan and Reddit, and I saw at least one Reddit sh- screenshot of somebody people basically being like, "Wow, Peterson was so unprepared. I'm done with him. Like, mm-hmm. I, he this is embarrassing. Mm-hmm. I don't." You know, I'm not behind him anymore. Um, and Zizek was Zizek was definitely more focused than maybe in some focused on the task at hand than in other uh, lectures he's given. But that's when he gets off track. It's fine. It's always like useful and interesting. But um, 
like you said, Zizek was basically just reading a paper, uh, but the paper was aimed at the question in right. terms of uh, the, the question was what produces. It was kind of a stupid question, but that again, it's like a scam. Like what produces more happiness, mm-hmm. uh, capitalism or Marxism or whatever. And <clears throat> Zizek was just kind of like uh, rehashing a lot of his uh, analyses that, you know, his listeners will have heard before, but um, trying to point out how, you know, like we can't simply just like pose that the question is false and that what we see now is the best managers of capital are these former communists or current communists like the Chinese. Um, and that being the case, like what 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 are the real problems we're facing? So he's, he's st- so in that sense, you're right. Uh, Zizek didn't take the question seriously. He, he took issue with the question and Peterson didn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Peterson didn't even bother trying to. He didn't read any of Zizek's work, <laughs> no. which is like it's right. that's that's just insane because, uh, you know, of course, they ended up agreeing on a bunch of kind yeah. of banal stuff right. um, that probably anybody would agree with. But. You know, Peterson set up the straw man to take the place of Zizek. Right. This <laughs> sort of polemical manifesto rather than capital or something like right, that. Right. German ideology. You know, because Zizek's actually read Marx right. beyond the Communist Manifesto. Right. Um, wherein Marx takes, you know, like Zizek pointed out, like Marx takes issue with all the things you're taking issue with, more or less. Uh, but, the, but, but anyway, the glimmer of hope here is that, number one, the big thing is that all of these Peterson people heard Zizek talk for two fucking hours or, you know, an hour and a half, which is amazing. Like, that's wonderful. That's, that's extremely progressive. Mm -hmm. And Peterson embarrassed himself so fundamentally that like the, those people, the, at least the marginally intellectually honest ones who maybe have never considered or been exposed to some of the ideas Zizek's presenting, or at least in the way that he's presenting them, are asking real questions about Peterson's credibility, et cetera. Um, but that again, Zizek's more in the, I mean, okay, this is what I'll credit Peterson with. He was, he did not become rhetorically dishonest when he got embarrassed. He just kind of, he just kept going with right. like, he, he took, he would admit when he was like, you know, cornered or whatever like he he would just basically oh i agree with that okay oh well i didn't know that like so he kind of he accepted the loss which is that's more than i can say for a lot of uh public intellectuals but Mm -hmm. the again just to this point of family values like or just even like ethics or morality happiness (laughs) no i don't give a fuck about (laughs) happiness is a false category that's that was the true lie of the right but that's why but i think it was a self-conscious lie i think it was like staged that way on purpose Mm -hmm. um but the the point of all this being that we're now in a situation where zizek has careened himself into the mainstream in this way um and if if that's the debate of the century and Zizek won, that means that is the trajectory intellectually that mm-hmm. we're on. Um, and it's it's it was interesting to see the left the left's reaction to Zizek like was this uh, kind of almost doing what Peterson was trying to do, but Peterson was more intellectually honest at the end of the day, where they were just kind of like s- giving these bad face readings of Zizek and oh he's not a co- he's not communist enough and he's you know he's a pessimist and. Mm-hmm. Marx isn't a pessimist and blah, 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 blah. 
Um, and it it it's point it it doesn't make any sense. Like you f- take the win, take the fucking W. I don't mm-hmm. understand the the need to do this except to just score points in, among these circles that nobody gives a fuck about. Sadism, or masochism, I should say. Well, but they see it as sadism because mm-hmm. they think they're they're attacking Zizek sure. and one upping him. Sure. But <clears throat> it's definitely self destruct. It's suicidal from mm-hmm. the perspective of the left. Um, but if Zizek won this debate, which he did, and that's that's the trajectory of the future, then it, things maybe are more open than they even appear mm-hmm. because people are like laughing at Peterson because he was saying such silly shit. Mm-hmm. Um, the things like just for example, if, if people don't want to put themselves through this debate uh but again it's pretty funny it's not it's not hard to listen to it's not even cringy like peterson was so bad that i wasn't even pissed off at what he was saying because it was so stupid like for instance he was like no basically like you can't run a successful business by exploiting workers because it, it it's it's structurally unstable right and people are laughing at him because right. obviously like everybody in that fucking place is exploited by some boss right. all of them because you know they're young Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't live in a time where you can afford to go to college unless you're highly elite, uh, and not work. So, <clears throat> um, I just think that there's no place left to hide really. And what, what I think needs to have is talking to a friend about comrade about like, you know, what's next sort of, we need to get Zizek on Joe Rogan because if you get, if you get his – he's funny and he's smarter than all these – I mean, Joe Rogan has had Jordan Peterson on for like seven hours at least in the last six months. Holy cow. And Ben Shapiro for like a similar amount of time. So he's given them these huge fucking platforms and no serious left response. Uh, but Joe Rogan will have you know Jimmy Dore, Abby Martin, Tulsi Gabbard on there. So it's not like he's not open to it. But, I, you know, he's probably not on Joe Rogan's radar for different reasons. But this might put him on his radar. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> the other thing I've been realizing, and I think this is the trajectory we need to think about DSA in. I, I've been – I was resistant to ever listening to Chapo, and then I started listening to it, and then I really liked it, and I was trying to figure out why. And I think it's because they're not trying to sell you anything. And I think DSA needs – be understood not as a political phenomenon, but as a cultural phenomenon, something Zizek's been calling for since 2009, that we need to establish a communist culture, that a light culture of the left mm-hmm. uh, in a positive, progressive sense, in contrast to the, the way that it was related to in the World War II with the Nazis. He's saying we need a leftist light culture. And I think the reason that's so vitally important in America is because the – like I used to talk to these um, tankies, Stalinist types, who uh, one thing we totally agreed on back in 2010 is that the left, the traditional left in the U.S. left us with nothing in terms of organizations, in terms of institutions. And so we're starting from zero and we need a conduit into real political organizing. So for the Stalinists, of course, or at least the one dude, he was like, he, he, his thought was, well, we just start a new Leninist party, which I, of course, I, it doesn't work. So I was just intuitively like, yeah, whatever. But uh, what DSA is able to do and what Chapo is able to do is to provide a, a public face of something like the left in the guise of, you know, 
entryism into institutional politics, not with an expectation that we're going to take all this power, but mm -hmm. look at what we can do. And mm -hmm. then we might have backed our way into taking power, like in Chicago, mm -hmm. where all of a sudden the mayor and five assembly people, uh, this quorum of assembly people are, or caucus are um, <clears throat> talking about redistributing the wealth openly. That's what, and, and that's why I think this show is one of the reasons it's worth doing besides the fact that I like to do it is for that reason that we need, we need a, we need a cornucopia of voices who aren't maybe taking themselves so seriously about mm -hmm. politics and trying to explore different ideas in ways that are hopefully entertaining or at least engaging and then mm -hmm. over time, and this is this was the role of memes, I think, communist memes from 2013 to now, where, which is just like, you can use comedy, like Zizek says he's always been doing, you know, haha, make him laugh, and then like, you know, stick him with the truth. Um, that's, that's needed because it was, you know, uh, it was a swear word in, in American culture for so long. We are now, we have opened up, I think it's DSA's effect is sort of flowering because now that we have Congress people and we see how effective they can be, mm -hmm. that becomes a way into um, hopefully a more s significant and substantial political organization rather than a generalized tendency. Uh, but if we understand it as a cultural phenomenon, then I think it makes sense. And I do think it's vitally important precisely because it's not as didactic and serious as maybe you know as and as just fucking like bland as party politics has become in this country just sanitized just like the church like mm -hmm. i've been thinking recently oh i might want to go back to church just to be around other people and i don't know maybe they're kind of politically close to where i'm mm -hmm. at but it's just it's so it, it's like it's been sanitized and just bereft of any, yeah. any, any grist. And so like, I don't, I just don't think I can deal with it, but that's the transition that we need to make into something that's much more vital and provides people with real hope. Um, and if it takes a period of just sort of like people bullshitting for a while and getting other people unapologetically getting people used to these ideas, then so be it. And hopefully we're kind of getting over the hump so that DSA is an intermediary to something that can and it's something that can hold institutional power over the long term and get us, you know, out of this horror that we're in. Amos and X not selling you nothing since 2018. <laughs> Uh, I would only add that, yeah, the DSA, the local Red River Valley chapter has been, I mean, you're right, they're only around a couple of years, but they've been incredibly effective at getting people elected to office at school board at whatever, at uh, you know, the state legislature, and then just almost by accident, right? They don't know what they're doing, right. but they've been effective at the sort of at the municipal level at the very least. Um, and now they're, to your point, uh, maybe this is what you're gesturing toward, too, is they're trying to sort of... I mean, I've been to a couple of meetings and they're always just kind of light and kind of kind of fun. And they try to make it interesting and like not too heavy. Mm -hmm. um, and now they're they're starting a reading group. I mean, this is heavy, but like they're like they're trying to get people together just to read Capital. So mm -hmm. let's read Capital and just talk about it. Right. Um, and that's cool. Right. And Democrats aren't doing that. Or if they are, the reading is certainly not very interesting, is my guess. No. Um, and I think that's exactly what they should be doing. I don't know about capital as a first choice, but <laughs> I mean, that's the kind of thing they should be doing ultimately. And that's sure. how they get, I think they'll attract more, more supporters too. Right. So, so fight on. <laughs>